Welcome to our second podcast in this quarter day series. In this episode, we'll share some thoughts on the much anticipated renters reform bill, which was released earlier this month. We'll discuss the new and revised grounds for possession and the impact we think these reforms will have on the rental market. We covered this topic in our last quarter day webinar, where we set out the anticipated reforms. We now have the full detail of the bill with some unexpected revisions. First, Alex, can you take us through the key provisions of the renters reform bill published on the 17th of May? The bill confirms the proposed changes that were set out in the fairer private rented sector white paper last summer. The bill proposes to introduce a new mandatory ombudsman scheme and financial penalties in the event of breach, an online property portal and a mandatory process by which to increase the rent. No doubt everyone has heard about the proposed abolition of Section 21 notices and that assured shorthold tenancies will be no more. Fixed term assured tenancies will also come to an end. New grounds will be inserted into Schedule 2 of the Housing Act 1988, which landlords can use to obtain possession in the event of rental arrears, antisocial behaviour, or if the landlords or their relatives wish to move into the property. So the big headline reform everyone is talking about there is the abolition of Section 21 and the complete elimination of assured shorthold tenancies. Alex, you spoke about some new grounds for possession. Unfortunately, we do not have time to go through the detail of all the amended and new grounds, but could you tell us some more about some of the key ones? An amendment to Ground 1 and a new Ground 1A have been inserted so that a landlord can obtain possession should the property need to be sold or let to a family member. If a landlord relies on these grounds, they would be prohibited from reletting or advertising for a period of three months after obtaining possession. There are a lot of concerns that these grounds will be abused by less and forthcoming landlords. And what is three months if you really want to get rid of a tenant? Also, who will enforce it if a landlord does relet within the three-month period? There have also been some changes to the notice period required for ground eight. This has been increased from two to four weeks and a new ground for the recovery of the property due to persistent rental arrears, ground 8A, has been inserted. Jess, do you want to talk us through some of the changes to the rent arrears ground? Yes. So in relation to ground eight, which is the current mandatory ground for possession for outstanding rent arrears, it is now made clear that if a tenant is entitled to universal credit that has not yet been paid, those arrears can be disregarded. Of course, this does pose the question of how a landlord is to know if their tenant is entitled to universal credit if they've received no communication from them. Many landlords would have experienced the difficulties with Ground 8 where they serve notice only to find out the tenants paid enough to bring the arrears under the eight-week or two-month threshold on the morning of the initial possession hearing. This sort of situation puts a significant burden on the court system and increases costs for everyone. It seems the bill has tried to even the balance for landlords by introducing a new mandatory Ground 8A. This ground entitles landlords to recover possession of their property from tenants who have had rent arrears of more than two months or eight weeks for at least a day on at least three separate occasions in a period of three years. This is a pretty draconian ground for tenants who may encounter issues causing persistent arrears. On the face of it, three years does sound a long time. Whether this ground strikes a fair balance between the needs and rights of both landlords and tenants remains to be seen. Another key concern which the government has identified is the eviction of tenants who are causing antisocial behaviour. The government's Antisocial Behaviour Action Plan, published in March this year, quoted that landlords and law-abiding tenants would benefit from stronger laws and systems to ensure those who are persistently disruptive are evicted. I mentioned earlier that the government proposes to amend existing grounds to tackle this concern. But Jess, do you think the proposed changes to Ground 14 really achieve that ambition? I'm not sure that the amendment to Ground 14, which deals with eviction based on ASB, really achieves the government's goal. 
The wording of ground 14 has been amended from evicting a tenant for behaviour which is likely to cause nuisance or annoyance to being capable of causing nuisance or annoyance. Is behaviour which is likely to cause a nuisance not equally capable of being a nuisance? I can see there is a subtle difference in the wording, but as ground 14 is a discretionary ground of possession, it remains to be seen whether the court will really enforce this ground more strongly. Ultimately, that will be a decision of a judge on a case-by-case -case basis. There is still, of course, a mandatory ASB ground, ground 7A. This only applies where the tenant or someone living at the property has been convicted of a defined serious offence within the locality of the premises or for a proven breach of specified statutory notices or, or an ASB injunction or if a closure order has been obtained over the property. The concern is that the removal of the accelerated Section 21 process will only burden the court and result in additional unnecessary and acrimonious litigation as landlords and tenants engage in a process of asserting blame on the other. You can certainly see how that may happen if the landlord is trying to obtain possession due to antisocial behaviour. Litigation in most possession actions is likely to be unavoidable. Earlier this year, a question posed to the Ministry of Justice revealed that 244 courts and tribunals have been closed since 2010, and this number does not include integrations that have taken place over that period. There is a question on whether the government will provide the additional funding that courts may need to keep up with demand. Putting aside the clear additional burden on the court system, how do you think these changes are going to impact the rental market, Jess? Do you think it strikes a right balance between landlords and tenants? While it cannot be disputed that tenants must be entitled to secure and safe housing, I suspect these changes will drive many decent landlords out of the sector. The Times recently reported that around 97% of private residential landlords only have one, two or three properties. The additional administrative burden and the rising interest rates and taxes will put immense pressure on these landlords who may in turn exit the market for more lucrative investment. Much is spoken about a housing crisis and the current lack of available homes for rent. A further reduction in private rental accommodation will not have the positive effect for tenants first envisaged by the government in 2019. We may also see a market shift away from individual private landlords who are arguably more flexible to large portfolio companies who run build-to-rent schemes and provide rent-to-rent -rent accommodation. We've already seen such a shift in the London property market. It will certainly be interesting to see how the bill develops when it moves to its second reading. We should also note that the bill refers to secondary legislation and regulations to be imposed by the Secretary of State. We have not had sight of any of this. Jess, do you know when we can expect a second reading of the bill? Of course, we're just at the preliminary stages and there's a long way to go yet before the bill becomes law. At the time of this recording, we do not have a date for the next stage. However, the government have promised that the legislation will be enforced before the next general election, which is due by December 2024. Currently, it appears from the bill there'll be a clear cut-off date for the end of fixed term assured shorthold tenancies. But it'll be interesting to see how these changes will take effect in practice and whether there'll be any sort of transitionary period. Whatever the case, provide the current government keep to their promise, the Renters' Reform Bill is clearly going to be a hot topic for real estate over the coming year. I agree, Jess. Investors and commercial landlords with mixed-use properties in their portfolio may also find that the changes will have an unexpected impact on their properties and their investments. There is bound to be a lot more debate and discussion on these significant changes. That's all we have time for today. Thank you all for tuning into our podcast. If you have any questions or if you would like any further information on what we have discussed, please contact either myself, Jess, or your usual SMB contact. Certainly lots more to discuss in the coming months, so do get in touch. We hope you will join us for our next podcast. Upcoming episodes will cover the Building Safety Act and Tenants Insolvency and the Forfeiture of Commercial Leases.